Well, a very good morning to everyone. If you would get your Bibles out and open them up to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians, the fourth chapter, is where I'm looking at in my Bible, and we will be in the Bible just a whole bunch today. And as always, you will just be benefited and be helped tremendously by looking along in the Scriptures with me and seeing these things for yourself. Let's get ready to work in God's Word in Galatians chapter 4. It is great to be with you on this first day of the week and to have the opportunity to stand in front of you and to present some things from the Word of God that I trust will be of benefit to you. I talked a couple of weeks ago on the week before Thanksgiving about being thankful for our spiritual blessings in Christ. and I talked about those spiritual blessings in a broad and general way. And In the middle of that lesson, I began to just kind of catalog a bunch of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And one of those that I mentioned just kind of very rapidly has kind of stuck in my crawl for these last couple of weeks and I thought, you know what, I really want to explore that particular blessing and to think about that more in depth and that's what we want to do this morning. Galatians chapter 4, let's go grab it. There the Apostle Paul writes this, Galatians 4 and in verse 4, Paul says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Before I began preaching on a full-time basis, I worked for the county attorney's office in Rockcastle County. And that means that I got to spend a lot of time in courtrooms and I got to be in the courtroom on a number of occasions where an adoption proceeding was being finalized. Where a judge is putting the finishing touches on months and months of paperwork and home studies and investigations. Where a mother and a father and a smiling child are being brought together and that child is going to be given a new name and a new home and a new family. And I've watched the smiles on people's faces when that's happening. I've watched people shed tears of joy as that's taking place. I've known as well couples on a personal level who have traveled thousands of miles and they have spent piles of money to go to a foreign country and to adopt a child and to bring that child home with them to be their very own. Adoption. What a beautiful thing. What a wonderful thing that is. But the kind of adoption that Paul talks about here in Galatians chapter 4, my oh my, it far outweighs any kind of earthly adoption. And believe me, I do know and I have heard some great adoption stories, the kind that really tug at our hearts and they really get the waterworks going. But I'm saying to you this morning, the Bible is saying to you this morning, that there is an adoption story that trumps them all. It is the story of how you were adopted by God. How you were the subject of an adoption story. I am the subject of this adoption story. Because in Galatians the fourth chapter, Paul says that every Christian can say, I've been adopted. I am the beneficiary of a spiritual adoption. I've been adopted into the family of God. How amazing is that? How awesome is that? How can anybody read these verses in Galatians 4 and it not give us at least a moment of pause? 
to just ponder how God sent Jesus when the fullness of time had come to die on the cross in order to make that adoption possible. And to think as well about how God sent the Holy Spirit to give His Word so that we might learn about this adoption and in turn we can cry out, Abba, Father. You know that term Abba in the Aramaic, it means Father in the closest, most intimate, most personal way. And Paul says we are sons of God. We are daughters of God. I am a child of God because God adopted me into His family. And this morning, that's what I'd like for us to think about for just a few moments. There's a lot of great spiritual blessings we enjoy in Christ, but I just can't shake just the power and the magnitude of this idea of adoption. I want us to think for just a few minutes today about what the New Testament teaches us about God adopting us because I believe that when we do that, it does several things. Number one, it helps to strengthen our relationship with the Father. Furthermore, it helps to just kind of change and shift our outlook on life and what life is all about to us. And maybe even best of all, it causes us to appreciate even more the amazing grace of God. And so this morning, I just want to share with you three things that this spiritual adoption means for us as Christians, three blessings that we enjoy because we've been adopted by the Father in heaven. First and foremost, the fact that I am adopted, it means, number one, that I have incredible joy in the present. There are three places in the New Testament where Paul talks about adoption. The first of those was in Galatians chapter 4. And the second of those is in Romans chapter 8. Would you find Romans chapter 8 in your Bible? Because there Paul uses this powerful language once again when he writes this. In Romans chapter 8, read with me beginning in verse 15. In Romans 8 and in verse 15, Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. I love these passages, and I love what they say about our relationship with God. Because they explain our relationship with God in a way that maybe, that maybe no other metaphor really ever could. In fact, one writer actually noted that adoption is the highest spiritual blessing. That it is ahead even of justification. Somebody would maybe say, oh, come on now. It can't be bigger than justification. Justification means to be declared right with God. I mean, come on, what could be better than that? having your sins forgiven, being brought into a right relationship with God, being justified by God. Well, justified, it is actually a courtroom term. Thinking about adoption and court proceedings. Justification, that's a courtroom term. It's a word that's used in the New Testament to conjure the idea of a judge pronouncing you not guilty. And you know what? That's pretty great. That's pretty awesome to have the judge say, you are not guilty. But you know what? When a judge pronounces you not guilty, after the court proceedings are done with, he doesn't take you home with him. He doesn't let you live with him. He doesn't give you a new last name and put food on your table and become your father. 
But in adoption, in adoption, that's exactly what takes place. Adoption is the gift of grace that makes us a part of God's family. We get to be in the judge's family. Adoption means a whole lot more that we are no longer condemned for our sins. No, adoption means that right now, in the present, we are accepted into God's family. What adoption says is that God chooses to have a relationship with us. And that relationship, it is marked by love and by care where we can be close to Him because He wants to be our Father. And I really do need to emphasize that point that this is a choice that God is making. You think about it. Anybody can become a biological father without intent. You understand what I mean by that? In my previous line of work, when I worked for the child support office, I dealt with guys like that every single day who became fathers when they really didn't intend to be. You can sire a child on accident. But you know what? You can't adopt a child on accident. You have to choose to do that. People choose to adopt children. They do that by choice. No one makes them do that. Nobody is bound to do that. Somebody would maybe ask, well, why do people do that? Why do couples travel those long distances, go to far-off places, spend piles and piles of money, jump through all the hoops and hurdles and fill out all that paperwork and go through that long, arduous process? Why do they do all that just to adopt a child? I'll tell you why they do that. They do that because they want to have that child. They want that child to be in their family. And I need to say to you very clearly this morning that God adopting you and God adopting me, it took even greater effort than what any earthly parents here on this earth have ever gone through to adopt a child. Understand very clearly that the adoption that Paul is talking about in these passages, it was signed, sealed, and delivered on an old rugged cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem. It took the death of God's Son to make that adoption possible. That was a huge effort on God's part. A colossal effort on His part. And listen, no one made Him do that. God did that of His own volition. God chose to do that. He was not bound to do that. He was not obligated to do that. In fact, the only thing God is obligated to do is punish sin. But God chooses to adopt us because He loves us and He desires us and He wants to bring many sons to glory, the Hebrew writer says. In fact, can I put that into even greater context for you? Would you still look here in Romans? Look in Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, just turn back a couple of pages. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says this in Romans 5. Think about this. And then think about the adoption that God went through. In Romans 5 and in verse 6, Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see what undeserved favor it is that brings us into the family of God? To be adopted is not the result of something that we did or something that we earned. No, it is a gift that we accept. You know, in adoption, it is the parent who is the active one. The parent is the one who is the initiator. 
And they do that because they choose to, not because they're going to get some benefit from the child. You know, can you imagine going down to the adoption agency and saying, Hi, me and my spouse, we uh, would like to adopt a child. Could you let us see your children? Oh, yes, they're right in here. And we get to looking at the kids and we get to thinking, Hmm, which one of these kids is rich? We'd like a rich child. Me and my wife, we're thinking about retiring early and we'd like to have a child that comes with lots of money so that we can quit our jobs and just, just enjoy life. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. I hate mowing the yard. Imagine me going to an adoption agency and saying, Hey, do you have any kids in here who can mow the yard? Can I have a baby who would mow the yard for me? I don't want to do that. I'd like a baby who mows the yard. What's the person at the adoption agency going to say? They're going to say you're out of your mind. This isn't about what this child is going to do for you, what a baby could do for you. In all probability, a baby can't do anything for you. This is about how you're going to take this baby and love them and care for them and give them a home and provide for them as your child. Nobody adopts a baby because of what that baby is going to do for them. And in much the same way, God does not adopt you and does not adopt me into His family because you or I could provide exactly what heaven was missing. Listen, heaven's not missing anything. God did not adopt us because He needed our money. God did not adopt us because you and I were so dashingly good looking. God did not adopt us because He needed an example of righteousness to show all the angels, now hey, this is how you're supposed to be. No! God adopted us, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, while we were still sinners, when we were ungodly and weak, despite the fact that we were in rebellion to God, God took us anyway. And I believe that somehow and in some way, we just got to go backwards. And we got to get right back to this idea. Because I'm afraid that for a lot of Christians, and I'll go ahead and confess, this includes myself from time to time, we get to thinking somehow that the basis for our relationship with God is our ability to be able to impress Him with all the good things that we've done for Him. To impress Him with how good we are, how morally right we are, how religious we are, how super holy we can be. There are huge problems with that. Huge problems with that. For one, it tends to make people self-righteous. But maybe even beyond that, maybe the fundamental problem is that that kind of thinking does not reckon with how we got into the family of God to start with. We got invited into this family while we were still sinners, Romans 5 says. And that's why I'll say to you right now, brother or sister, if you imagine in some way that being in God's family, that it comes as a result of you being just so good, because you got up early on a Sunday morning to worship God and to listen to His Word being taught, or because of all the wonderful, glorious things that you've done for God and in His service and in His kingdom, then brother or sister, you are missing out on the very heart of adoption and the very heart of what grace is. Think about the word grace. The word grace could just literally be translated present or gift, which is why we really need to allow this metaphor of adoption to continually remind us that our salvation, it is the gift of God. And yes, I understand before somebody comes to me after this lesson is over and wants to correct me, I understand very clearly 
that being adopted into God's family, it brings with it certain responsibilities. If you're in a family, you got some stuff you need to do. You need to pull your weight. You need to do some stuff as being a member of a family. I get that. And I understand as well that there are some people who choose not to meet those obligations in the family. There are people who choose to leave God's family, to walk away from His family. The prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, that's exactly what he did. I understand all of that. But I also understand that at the beginning point, that if you somehow think that our Christianity, that it's all about impressing God with how much you can do, with how perfect you are, then brother or sister, you need to quit auditioning to be a Pharisee and you need to be adopted. Adopted as a child of God so that you can know the joy of recognizing that God has chosen to be in relationship with you. When you do that, that will then bring you, secondly, that will then bring you remarkable freedom from the guilt of the past. I said earlier that Paul talks about adoption in three different places. We read one in Galatians. We read one in Romans. Can we grab the third of those? It's in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, as part of this really long introduction, it's really, I know the ESV kind of breaks it up a little bit, but in the original Greek, it's really just one big giant run-on sentence. It just goes on and on and on. Can we drop just right into the middle of that in Ephesians 1? I'm reading here in verse 3. In Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us, hey, there it is, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him... We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. This passage tells us that God's plan to adopt you and me, that it was not something that He just dreamed up this morning. No, God predestined that. And because of our Calvinist friends, we always need to be very clear when we see that word predestined in our Bibles. We're not talking about how God predestined individuals to be saved. No, God predestined the group who would be saved. That collection of folks, those who would one day constitute His church, those are the ones that He predestined for adoption. And you get into that group, verse 7, whenever you are forgiven of your trespasses, Forgiven of your sins according to the riches of His grace. Think about that idea of forgiven of our trespasses. We need to think about that. What happens whenever we trespass or whenever we sin against God? Well, what's happening there is the giving in to temptation. There is the giving in to self and what self wants to do, our own desires, the desires of the flesh. We're doing what we want instead of what God wants us to do. And that is, according to Hebrews 11, that is, yeah, that's pleasurable. And in fact, in time, it can even become addicting. But furthermore, if we allow it to go long enough, that life in sin, it can actually become enslaving. Paul says so in Romans the 6th chapter. Would you find Romans 6? 
In Romans 6, there Paul talks about the effects of being in sin, remaining in sin. In Romans chapter 6, he says in verse 16, Romans 6 and verse 16, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. I want to say to you very clearly this morning that we cannot be in God's family when we are slaves of sin when we are captured by the devil, when we are held hostage to righteousness. And of course, the Bible tells us in a number of different ways that Jesus came to this earth to remedy that problem. There's lots of different terminology and metaphors that are used to describe how Jesus gets us out of the clutches of sin. I'm thinking about Mark 10 verse 45, how Jesus came to be a ransom for those who are lost, to pay the ransom price. Or there is as well, Mark 3 verse 27, Jesus talked about how He was going to enter into the strong man's house and He was going to bind the strong man so that He could free us from the clutches of the devil. Those are all wonderful ideas. But you know what? This idea of adoption, as we think about the idea of dealing with the past and the guilt of past sins, I really think the concept of adoption would have really resonated with the New Testament audience, particularly with the way that people in that culture did adoptions. And they would have understood how adoptions were done. In the early Roman world, under Roman law, a man who did not have an heir could adopt an heir. And specifically when a wealthy Roman, somebody wanted to make sure that his estate and all of his money stayed within the family, when that man adopted a son, there was all sorts of ceremony and all sorts of pomp and all sorts of circumstance that went along with that. Part of that ceremony was actually a reenactment that actually looked like buying a slave out of bondage. And that was done to symbolically show that this child was now being brought out of slavery and into a new situation, a new family. And in that ceremony, as that child moved from slave to child, they then received a new name and they were officially by decree freed from the past. They were freed from all past duties, past responsibilities, past obligations. The slate was wiped entirely clean, including all past debts. Think about how significant that is. A new name, a new family, and a new start. Isn't that what Paul was getting at in our text in Ephesians 1? Could you look at that passage again in Ephesians 1? Look there one more time. In Ephesians 1, look at verses 5, 6, and 7. In Ephesians 1 and in verses 5, 6, and 7, there Paul says that the Lord, He has in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption. Redemption. Redeemed. Redeemed through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Your past sins, Paul says, no more. The debt of sin that you owed and that you had accrued, paid off. Everything, that slate that would have been so messy and so disgusting and awful to look at, it's been wiped 
entirely clean. You know, as wonderful as that is to think about and even to say with our lips, let's be honest, sometimes we struggle with that. I talk with Christians on a fairly regular basis who really seem to have a tough time with that. Who think back and they look back through the stream of time and they remember back in their lives the things that they did that were not right. They remember that time when they were enslaved to sin. When they were held captive by the devil. When they were in rebellion to God. And all too often they look back at that and they get to thinking about that and the devil kind of works with them on that and they get to saying, you know what, I, I, I can't be in God's family. There's no way I can be in the family of God. I mean, I mean, I love all this stuff, Josh, that you're saying here about adoption and all the wonderful things that it does for us, but you just don't know what I've done. You don't know the ways in which I have, I have disgraced the Lord that I have brought shame and reproach upon myself, the terrible things that I have done in the past, the just almost unspeakable things that I have done. God doesn't want anything to do with me. God would not want someone like me with the past that I have, the things that I've done. He wouldn't want someone like me in His family. Paul comes along in these verses and Paul says emphatically, yes, he does. Yes, he does. Because in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, God can and He will forgive your sins. By His grace, He will adopt you. He will free you from the guilt of the past. He will free you from the bondage of the devil. He will make you His child. He'll give you a new name. He'll give you a new family. And He'll give you a brand new start. Being adopted by God, it means that we can be set blessedly free from the guilt of the past. Which brings us then thirdly and finally and probably most importantly of all to the fact that when we are adopted, well that means that we have the hope of a most glorious future. I I need to have us return back to our opening text in Galatians 4. And I need to focus our attention now on verse 7. Would you look back in Galatians 4, look in verse 7. There Paul says that since we are adopted, that what that means is, is that means that you are no longer a slave, but a son. Notice this. And if a son, then an heir through God. We're an heir? You're saying that we stand to inherit something? Yes. Yes, we do. In fact, Paul sharpens that idea even more in that Romans passage. Would you go back to Romans chapter 8? In Romans chapter 8, this might have even caught your eye when we read it earlier. In Romans chapter 8, look again at verse 17. In verse 17, if we are children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. What adoption means, brother and sister, is it means that you are in the will. You are! You are in the Father's will. Now, there's a lot that needs to be said about that. But I need to say something here right up front before we even talk about this idea of the glorious hope of the future that we have. Because sometimes what adopted children fear the very most is that they're going to get cut out of the will. Take, for example, maybe a family, husband and a wife, who 
they try to conceive a child, but for whatever reason, they're just not able to. And so they then set out to adopt a child, and they do, and that adopted child brings much joy into their lives. But then maybe a couple of years pass by, and lo and behold, that husband and wife are able to conceive a child. And so they have a child. They now have their own flesh and blood child that they have conceived of their own. And there is the concern many times on the part of that adopted child, especially when they get old enough to put the pieces together. There is the concern that yes, I once was the apple of mom and dad's eye, but now now I fear that maybe I'll not be nearly as important as this new child. Well, Paul writes these verses in Romans chapter 8 to say, Brother, sister, that's not going to happen to you. We don't have to worry about that. As Christians, we are fellow heirs with Christ. Think about that. We stand next to Jesus Christ, our older brother. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? We are in the will. And the good news is, we're not going to get cut out of the will. And we need to think about that. We need to think about that a whole lot more. I wonder, I wonder how many folks remember the name Howard Hughes. Some folks listening may be old enough to remember the name Howard Hughes. There's a whole generation of people who don't know who Howard Hughes is. You could watch the Aviator movie that came out a few years ago that Martin Scorsese made. You'll get some idea about who that guy was. Howard Hughes was an enormously important and influential man. He was a business tycoon. He got into movie production. He lived the celebrity lifestyle. He developed new airplane technologies. He was involved in all kinds of industries. And as a result, he made billions of of dollars. When he died though in 1976, he died without any children. And furthermore, he seemingly died without a will. Which meant for a while, everybody seemed to know where Howard Hughes's will was. Everybody seemed to be popping out of the woodwork saying, oh, I've got a copy of Howard Hughes's will. Oh, yes, yes, yes. People coming out saying, I've got his will, and in fact, I'm in the will. I know Howard Hughes. We were very close friends, and he made sure to write me into his will. There was all kinds of people popping up saying they were relatives of Howard Hughes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I'm his long-lost cousin twice removed on his grandmother's side, next-door neighbor's uncle's best friend's roommate. Yes, I'm related to Howard Hughes, and, and I need to be in the will. There was even a guy out in the desert who claimed that Howard Hughes picked him up one time, gave him a ride, and he said Howard Hughes left him all his money, and here's the piece of paper to prove all of that. It took years to sort out the Howard Hughes will debacle. But you know what? I understand and I get why everybody wanted to get really busy with their homemade Howard Hughes will kits. Because when somebody's got $5 billion, if you can get even just a little cut, if you can get just even a little piece of that pie, you're going to end up pretty good in the end. But the truth of the matter is, you probably weren't named in Howard Hughes' will. And neither was I. And the further truth of the matter is, you weren't named, not going to be named in Bill Gates' will, or in Warren Buffett's will, or Jeff Bezos' will, or any of the Sam Walton family's will. 
Steve Jobs died several years ago and he left you just as much money as he left me. Not one dime. We're not in any of the wills of any of those rich people, are we? But Paul comes along and he says, So what? Don't worry about that, Christian. You are in a better will. You are in God's will. You are an heir to the treasures of the kingdom of heaven. And I am afraid that we do not give that the kind of thought that we truly need. Because if you were in Bill Gates' will, or Warren Buffett's will, or even if you were in Steve Jobs' will, hey, we'd be running around telling everybody, hey, I'm in the will of this rich person. Look at all this stuff that I'm going to inherit. Look at all the great things that I get by being in the will. I'm set for life. But Paul says, you're in the will of all wills. The greatest will of all. And Paul says you are set for eternal life. That's incredible and astounding, isn't it? You tell me that that doesn't give the Christian all the hope that they would ever need. That that gives the Christian everything that they need for their future, plus some. That we stand to inherit our Father's wealth. The wealth of the very one who created the universe. We stand beside Jesus to inherit the glories of heaven forever and ever without end. Now can I just say a quick word here as we think about the glories of heaven and inheriting all that? In the Bible, heaven is described in a lot of different ways. It's described in Revelation 19 as the marriage banquet of the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 21, it's described as the holy city of God coming down from the heavens above. And all of those images have significance and connotations and specific meanings to them. But one of the very most important images of heaven is that it will be a family reunion. That it is the time and it is the place where God is going to finally bring all of His family together. Did you know the Bible says that? Look in 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3, look in verses 1 and 2. In 1 John 3, 1 and 2, John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Man, man, that, that almost brings a tear to my eye just to even read that verse. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Verse 2, now, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. John talks here about a day comes when we're going to finally get to see God in the fullness that He is intended to be seen. We'll be changed to go and be with the Lord. Look again in John, this time in the Gospel of John, in John 17. In John chapter 17, this is on the last night before Jesus is going to go to the cross. And He is talking to His Father about the work that the apostles would carry on and as well about those who would then believe upon the teaching of the apostles. That's you and I. Look at what He says about us and about believers in John 17 and in verse 24. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, that they may be with me where I am. Jesus is praying that as our older brother, that we, His younger brothers and younger sisters, that we will be with Him to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. Man, what, 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 a, what an incredible thought. Let me add one more verse to that in 1 Thessalonians 4. In 1 Thessalonians 4, as Paul 
is explaining to the Thessalonian brethren some of the things that they can look forward to, some of the things that they can be anticipating on Judgment Day when the Lord comes. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he says this in verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, he says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, those who are in the family of God, who have passed from the scenes of this life, they will rise first. Then we who are alive, the living members of the family of God, we who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so we will always be with the Lord. You know, I've said it multiple times, but I'll say it again. What makes heaven heaven is that we get to go and be with our Father. We get to go and be with the One who has done so very much. The One who has taken so many pains. Who has moved heaven and earth in order to adopt you and I into His family and to bring us home to live with Him for all of eternity. And that is our hope. That is what Christians are living for. We're living for that grand family reunion. And we do need to think about that. Because all too often it seems that Christians sometimes have this thinking of, well, I, well, I, I, I hope I'm going to get there, but I don't know. I'm just not sure that I am going to be there. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to serve the Lord and I'm trying to do what's right. And I want to go there, but you know, if I was a betting man, I don't think I'd place any bets on me making it to heaven. There's not a lot of assurance in that kind of talk, is there? I'm saying to you this morning, Christian, that that's not the way that children of God talk or think. Children who know that they have been adopted into God's family, children who know that they are heirs with Christ, you are in the will, brother. You will inherit the glories and wonders of heaven, sister. You are a child of the true and living God. That is your future. Don't let Satan put a maybe in front of that amazing and wonderful hope. One final passage this morning, and the lesson will be yours, and it's in Romans chapter 8 again. After Paul has introduced that idea of adoption in Romans chapter 8, verses 15, 16, and 17, He then develops it a little more fully, picking up in verse 18. In Romans 8 and in verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22 continues on. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with 
patience. Do you see what Paul says here? Paul says that being adopted, it's a now, but it's also a not yet. We are presently in God's family, but we are not yet fully what we will be. We are not yet reunited face to face with our Father in heaven. And so Paul says we are, we are waiting. We are, we're waiting. And as we wait, the Spirit uses His instrument, the Scriptures, to teach us about our relationship with God, that we might live for Him, that we might please Him, that even when we do fail Him, and we will, that we can find forgiveness and we can find grace, and that we would love our Father more and more each day for however long we're here on this earth, that we would love the One who has adopted us. And so we wait. But while we are waiting for that glorious hope, you and I, we must know and we must have certainty built within our hearts that our identity is fixed. That I am a Christian. I am a disciple of Jesus. I am a follower of Christ. I am a soldier in the army of the Lord. I am a servant in the kingdom of God. But most importantly of all, I am a child of God. Why? Because I have been adopted by the Father in heaven. Would you pray with me please? Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you thanking you this day and praising you for the wonderful gift of adoption. Father, we are thankful so very much for the blessings that come by being your sons and your daughters. Father, it is a privilege of us to be recognized as your children. Father, we recognize there's not enough thank yous, there's not enough good deeds, there's not enough worship that we could ever offer to begin to repay you for the glorious gift of this adoption. Father, we pray though that you would help us to understand even more and experience the joy of the present, knowing that you have chosen to adopt us. And Father, help us to just dwell even more upon your grace. Father, to help us to be more thankful for the freedom that you give us from the sins of the past, that we do have that new name, that new family, and that new start. Help us, Father, to realize that we are forgiven. Father, help us to strengthen our hope for the future as we anticipate that day when we inherit the glories of eternal life. Father, we praise you for these things. We praise Jesus because we know it is through his death on the cross that all of this is possible, our salvation is possible, and the fact that we can be members of your family is possible. We're thankful for our older brother and for what he does on our behalf each and every day as he helps us in that journey toward heaven. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you for all these blessings and it is in his name that we offer this prayer. And amen.